the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. In addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. And because of my education, my training, my life experiences, my observations as a human being, and a lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families, within communities, and the role that these particular aspects of the social science of economic plays in the life of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. And again, many of you wonder, well, what's so great about bankruptcy law? Again, it helps people with financial issues, people and entities, sort things out in a non-combative you know, combative way, although there is some combat going on uh, before the judges, but it's a peaceful way to resolve financial issues with the goal of having creditors and the debtor come out whole such they can go forward and not be financially ruined. And so that's that's a really good thing and why I like bankruptcy law. And I also practice some related areas. That is to say, I help my clients, you know, manage their debt and their wealth outside of bankruptcy and estates and trusts, sometimes inside bankruptcy, real estate quite frequently inside bankruptcy, and of course, taxation law, which is everywhere. Now, with these areas of law as my reference points, and as they relate to the personal, familial, and community, and also small business finance, I have spent the greater part of the last 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, independence, and autonomy of women, people of color, communities of color, including indigenous communities, as well as the members of the overall community. And because I grew up as a military brat, I know firsthand how hard it can be economically for our citizens, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economy, especially after these service members separate from the service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And as I've shared with you before, if the situation uh, is right, I sometimes have been able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors as we find ourselves 
the targets and unfortunately more and more the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse you can imagine that unfortunately is running rampant in our society today. So I'm coming to you again today to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. And sometimes I just want to talk to you about the Constitution and what it means to me and what it means to you. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances, and hopefully provide you with at least an outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help I believe you need if you have a legal issue that intersects with your finances and or your other assets or sometimes just your constitutional rights. So I've heard from some of you out there in radio land concerning my series of shows on the status of women and girls 2021 edition that I started off with a story about how and why I ended up as a participant in a speaking tour of Japan 30 years ago last month and while there I was introduced to a group of ethnic Korean women euphemistically known as comfort women who were living in Japan but whose humanity had been overruled by the sovereign government of Japan via its imperial army when Japan forced these women when they were still little girls and teenagers into sex slavery as part of Japan's public policy before and during World War II. A group of women whose attempts to vindicate their rights to their humanity I have followed all these years through and to the earlier part of this year when the last of their series of eight lawsuits filed over these intervening 30 years against Japan, in Japan, in the United States, and in Korea were all dismissed as stated by the courts in the United States. The subject matter of these cases were non-justicable political questions and inimical to the foreign policy interests of the United States. Said another way, the doctrine of sovereign immunity, which is the right of a sovereign to decline to allow the prosecution of a crime it does not recognize within its own borders or in another jurisdiction without the sovereign's consent, prevented these cases from moving forward, even though some courts and some sovereigns have determined that any kind of slavery, including sex slavery, or rape enacted as a tool to control a captive people used during a time of war is and remains a war crime and is a crime against humanity that should be prosecuted. Now my show culminated in my disclosure last week that while I readily and happily profess to being a Christian, in fact a lifelong member of the Anglican Communion, which is also known as you know, I'm an Episcopalian since birth. Nonetheless, I believe that each woman on this planet, but especially each American woman, woman, has the inalienable right to control all aspects of our body, minds, and spirits, such that, in my not-so-humble opinion, governments, including any and all federal, state, and local governments, 
need to tread very lightly if and when that government decides to stick its uninvited nose or any other part of the body politic into matters that are protected by each person's, which I might add that might be news to some men include a woman's free exercise of religion, liberty, and privacy interests that are protected by the first, ninth, and fourteenth amendments of the United States Constitution. Lest we wake up one morning and find ourselves living in a totalitarian regime where a woman's reproductive organs have become the property of the ruling state during the time of war, such as the case in those territories that were occupied by Japan during World War II, or in a time of peace, such as in other countries, like China, since the late 1970s through and to today. Now, in the case of China, in effect, uh, efforts to control its overpopulation instituted its one-child policy back in 1979. So how does a country control a woman's reproductive system when it's trying to control overpopulation? Well, it forces women to abort any subsequent children after the first is born. And as a result, many families in China used abortion to select the gender of their one authorized child. And because of the perceived enhanced value to the family of having a son, who could take care of his aging parents in their old age, as opposed to a daughter who was perceived to be a financial burden, many female fetuses were terminated as a result of this one child, which turned out to be this one son public policy. As such, this government-controlled family planning technique has resulted in that country's having a skewed gender balance which according to its 2021 census, there are almost 35 million more men than women in the country of 1.4 billion, in a society that is aging with an insufficient number of working-aged people to support not only the projected growth, economic growth it requires, but also the aging populace without pension programs like we have here in the United States and our other countries around the world. Such as now, China is implementing a program to abolish all abortions while attempting to coerce young Chinese women to move back to small villages and farms and have at least three children in an attempt to mediate this gender imbalance, insufficient population replacement problem it, through its mostly male political hierarchy, created in the first instance and, in my not-so-humble opinion, devalued the humanity of women and girls. So yes, I'm a Christian who, while not terribly religious, that is to say I'm not dogmatic, even about my own chosen religion that I love, but don't get me wrong, I do attempt to follow the tenets of my religion, and more importantly, the living example and words of Jesus Christ, who actually lived amongst us, and there are records of his teachings for all to read. However, I am also a secularist, 
That is to say, I live in the real world, and as a lawyer who has sworn to uphold the Constitution of the United States, I also believe that each woman has a legal right to control her body and how she deals with her penumbra of rights related to her liberty and privacy interests in her own body that I firmly believe are matters between that woman, her doctor, and her God as she knows her God, and not the state, including the states of Texas, Mississippi, Japan, or China. So when we come back, I'll share with you the three most frequently asked questions I've received concerning this series of shows. But first, we're going to take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law. As we conclude our discussion on the State of Women and Girls 2021 edition, where for the last few weeks I've been using as my focal point a group of women that I first met 30 years ago last month on a speaking tour of Japan. The Korean comfort women who, when they were little girls and teenagers, were used and abused as sex slaves by the Japanese Imperial Army. That was in control of most of Asia, including Korea, in as early as 1910, but definitely between 1930 through and to the end of World War II in 1945. I then broadened the scope of the discussion by looking at how state-sanctioned hijacking of the bodies of women and girls anywhere by any government for any political or purported religious reason is antithetical to the spread of democracy that gives each of us the right to exercise our religious beliefs, including some of us who don't believe in anything, and therefore it's antithetical to the expansion of free thinking, free thinking populaces everywhere, including here in America. Now, before the break, I promised to share with you all the three most frequently asked questions I have received concerning this series of shows. And here they are. First I heard was, what was the most memorable thing about my trip to Japan? The second was, what is or are the basis for my biblical references concerning my own religious beliefs? And the third question was, inasmuch as... A right to privacy, of which Casey and uh, Roe are hung, is not mentioned in the Bible. What makes me think that there is such a thing as a right of privacy? So, let's answer these questions in order. The most memorable thing about my trip to Japan, I've already shared with you, and that was meeting the Korean comfort women. But the thing um, that was maybe, I, I think the person wanted to know what thing of beauty or what was the most unusual thing that happened to me. Well, the thing of beauty was uh, the last couple of days of the trip, I went to a beautiful resort in Hakone near Mount Fuji to what um, my host wanted me to detox and just, you know, basically have a, uh, a mental refreshment and enjoy the beauties of the surroundings. And I got to tell you, if you get to go to Japan, you need to go to Hakone and visit Mount Fuji. Uh, there were hot springs there, and it was very relaxing. It was a beautiful spa. But another thing that was memorable was I got taken to a brothel for the final major meal of the event. So I'm going to not tell you about that, but, um, well, I'll tell you a little bit about it. 
it's not that um, I was engaged in the activities that were going on in the back area, but this place was supposed to be the best um, a Japanese restaurant in Tokyo that was attached to this brothel. And the food was excellent, and the, the geisha women were just so friendly, and they were, like, amazed at me. Koko um, Gaijin is what they call me. That's chocolate uh, outlander. <laughs> but I was nice to them, and they were nice to me, such that they gave me a beautiful gift of a kimono. Because, you know... I, these women were falling all over themselves. You know, normally they would be of service serving a nice meal to um, the men who come to this place. But, you know, not very many women would go there and hadn't seen a Coco Gaijin before. So I was nice to them, too. And so, you know, with the translator, we, 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 we hit it off. And again, I got a beautiful kimono as a gift from these, these lovely ladies. But I won't go in. I'll just tempt you with that part. Okay. So, question number two, what are the biblical references concerning the basis of my religious belief? Well, as I've shared with you before, I'm not very religious. However, I'm very spiritual, and most of that comes from the fact that I was raised as a member of the Anglican Communion. Now, the churches of the Anglican Communion consider themselves to be one holy, Catholic, and apostolic Apostolic Church. I can't speak today, and and also both Catholic and Reformed at the same time. Now, for some adherents, Anglicanism represents a non-papal Catholicism, and for others, it's a form of Protestantism, though without a dominant guiding figure like a Luther or a Calvin. For others, their self-identity represents some combination of the two. The communion encompasses a wide spectrum of belief and practices, including evangelical, liberal, and Catholic. It, some of you might not realize this. Many uh, former Catholic priests who decide that they can't be celibate anymore, and I'm not talking about the ones that go after little children, but some of them actually want to marry, and because our 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 teachings are so similar, many of them uh, joined the Episcopal Church here in the United States um, because um, members of the Episcopal Church, the priests, they can be married. So that's how closely aligned um, Catholicism and um, Anglicanism is. And in fact, those of you who know the history of the creation of the Church of England, it it was because Henry VIII wanted to get a divorce, but he also wanted to be Catholic. Uh, so that's why our, our church is a little bit schizophrenic, but why I also like it is because learning about our church and learning about the world is an important component of being uh, a member of the Anglican community. And again, here in the United States, we're known as Episcopalians. So when I was a child and a young lady until I got confirmed as a Christian in my own right, and therefore responsible for my own soul, those to whom my soul was placed in trust when I was baptized as a baby, my parents, my grandparents, and my godparents, all insisted that I go to church every Sunday and attend Sunday school, and when it became time for me to look into getting confirmed pre-confirmation classes each week. In each of those venues, in addition to passages from the Bible, each week our parish priest would lead us in the prayers for the people out of the Book of Common Prayer. However, 
what I was taught and came to believe was the most important commandment uh, in my church, and uh, it was the greatest commandment and the golden rule. Now, the greatest commandment uh, is from the book of Matthews, where some of the followers of Christ asked Christ, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on to these two commandments. And again, this is in the book of Matthews. And that's why I sometimes say, I have no problem with the first part. <laughs> I do love God. But sometimes I don't love my neighbor as much as I love myself because that's another thing. It's like a three-part relationship. In order to love your neighbor, you have to love yourself. But sometimes if you love yourself, you see the failings of your neighbor, especially if your neighbor wants to tell you what to do. So that's why I sometimes say, I love my neighbor, especially when my neighbor is far away from me. <laughs> then there's also the golden rule. You're supposed to do unto others as you want others to do unto you. So even a simple-minded person like me can remember these succinct commandments. And they form the basis of my belief that God is a loving God, not to be feared, but to be loved, similar to the relationship I had with my late father, who always wanted me to be the best person I could be. He wanted the best for me, and he wanted me to be a strong, independent, and autonomous woman, and therefore urged me to be the best person that I could be to educate myself, to learn about finances so I can take care of myself, and also make a contribution to society, and thereby show the great glory of God. So the third question was, what makes me think that women have a right to privacy as it's not mentioned in the Constitution? Well, you know what? It's not mentioned in the Constitution in the affirmative. It's mentioned in the Constitution as part of the negative. So what do I mean by that? It comes from the Ninth Amendment. Okay, so the Ninth Amendment says, and let me just go get my handy-dandy constitution here. Um, it basically says that um, just because something isn't mentioned in the Constitution, if it was a right that was important to the people that founded this country and wrote the, uh, the Declaration of Independence and wrote the Constitution, just because it's not listed doesn't mean that it's not a right that's important. And it does talk about a liberty interest in the Ninth Amendment. Okay, so although there is much dispute among constitutional scholars about the meaning and legal effect of the Ninth Amendment, there is consensus about its origin. During the ratification debates over the Constitution, some opponents of the ratification, anti-federalists, vociferously complained about the absence of a Bill of Rights. In response, supporters of the Constitution, the Federalists, such as James Wilson, urged or argued that the Bill of Rights would be dangerous for the very reason some people are trying to manipulate it today. They felt that if you just listed things, if people would conclude that because it wasn't listed, it wasn't a right. 
And so there was lots of debate about that, and that's why there was the ability to add further to the list of the Bill of Rights to the amendments to the Constitution when they percolated to the surface. However, the liberty interests, the right for life, liberty, and happening, which included the privacy right, was always included as part of the thinking behind the Constitution. So, as a result, I put my faith in the penumbra of individual rights, including those of my own personal liberty, privacy, and bodily spirit, intellectual autonomy interests, as well as those of due process that are implicated in the Ninth, and more precisely detailed in the Fourteenth Amendment, than those designated by the minority interests who put all the power in the Tenth Amendment, which gives states the rights uh, that are left out of the Constitution. So, with that, we're going to leave it there for now, but always in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we want to stay on the right side of the law, including laws that should protect our individual rights, including our right to religion, our right to privacy, and our right to move ahead with our liberty interests in this great country. But in the meantime, until we get together, please get vaccinated and get your booster shots, even if you've already had the two doses. But especially if you haven't, please don't let this holiday season lull you into letting down your guard. Instead, please keep your social distance. Mask up when you're out in public. Wash your hands. I want you to be around for next year. 2022 is going to be quite a year. And I want you to be out there in the listening audience. Take care. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.